right? We got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. That. You don't got time that. Right? Let's go. Crank it. Crank it. Let it cross. Woo! Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Hey, what's happening? Welcome into edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Adam Dravetta. I'm Derek Johnson on KLWN. We have KU basketball coming at you later today, 530 pregame. That starts up, then at 7 o'clock we've got tip-off KU and Iowa State. Big game, top 15 showdown. Derek, I'm thrilled. Top 15 showdown in in what has been argued to be one of the best conferences in all of basketball the last several years, including this year. Two top 15 teams in one of the cathedrals of college basketball. A Hall of Fame former coach, Roy Williams, going to be in the house, and I have no doubt that this is going to be the biggest game on the ESPN slate. They're sending in everybody. No, I bet they're going to do a special mm. Wednesday night game day. No, you know, the game is not actually on ESPN. The oh, game, is this going to be on Fox then? No, not okay. on national so no TV no Gus Johnson? Either. No. You might be asking ESPN too. No, no. Not that either. Well, then ESPN U then. No, not okay. even that. Well, where, what TV channel can I watch it? Because I well, want to kick back on my TV and watch this game. I mean, you see, it's it's technically on TV, but not really on TV. Go on. So they, they created this weird channel called ESPN+. Plus. Now that's some sort of computer thing, isn't it, Derek? Yeah, it is. And I know now, for a lot of people, now, tell you know, me. a lot of these, these millennials out here like myself, it's like, hey, it's just streaming a basketball game, you know? Go put it on my Roku TV, my Apple TV. Not a big deal, right? I always feel bad with now, these games. Now, are you telling me that there's some <laughs> idiot conference commissioner who would sign mm. some sort of deal with some sort of TV channel to put its biggest games not on actual TV but on the internet? Apparently. Oh, all right. Hmm. My bad. Yeah. But, th- okay, this is what sucks. Because I always see when, when certain people, there'll be the blowback to, man, this is stupid, this game is on ESPN+. Plus, and, and people will be like, it's not a big deal. We're in the 21st century. Like, just watch the game on your smart TV or your computer. You can stream it. It's still on TV. It's fine. Uh, here's my issue with that. couple things. One, the production is just not nearly as good. It's I hope garbage. I hope Lance Blanks isn't on the call tonight because that dude is on one. Um, but beyond that, like, that is just... It's so nearsighted because, like, yes, okay, for me and you, we live in populated places. We live in suburban places. We're going to have Wi-Fi. We're going to have, even if the game might be choppy or the broadcast might not be great, we'll be able to watch it, although I'm, I'm going to be there live. But um, there are certain people, a lot of people who live out in the country or who live out away from having good Wi-Fi where they can't have ESPN plus and where they, they can't watch games on there. It's just not possible. And there are also a lot of, and I'm not just talking about super old people, but I'm talking about just old people who, by the way, have money, uh, that just don't want to deal with, don't want to deal with it. And I, it just, I, I don't think it's, it's having a full understanding of your, of your 
uh, consumer. I think a lot of I think there are a lot of people who can't afford the internet, you know, who just don't have it, or like you said, live in a place where you know they live in some place rural. Like they might have internet, but they might not have good enough internet yeah, to, to watch it game. to stream a game. It's I I don't know, and it it's and and the like you said the production you could look the only thing you need to know to the only thing you need to look at to realize that. ESPN views its ESPN Plus games as lesser is the production value. That's all you need to know. How many camera angles do they have? How many, and I'm not saying they need to treat it like... Do you remember the the TCU football game? Yeah, and I'm not saying they need to treat it like the national championship where you've got the camera angle coming down from the top that shows the, the, the tip-off at the beginning of the game. You don't yeah, need that. We're not asking for three broadcasts and there's one with a bunch of coaches breaking down the game. Yeah, you, you don't need all that, but... Give me something. Give me, you know, how about unlike set, granted Saturday's game against Texas Tech was on um, was on ESPN two, but give me a broadcaster that knows it's a call out of bounds and not a foul. Give me, um, you know, God forbid. Now that we can travel again, God forbid we give us give uh, broadcasters who are actually in person so they can tell what's going on, not broadcasting from a remote studio somewhere. Look, you all. But really, truly, the the broadcast quality or lack thereof of ESPN Plus games is all you need to know when you of knowing what a low priority ESPN Plus broadcasts are to the ESPN network. And so, the mouse really took you for a ride, Big Twelve, when you struck that yeah. deal. <laughs> you weren't you weren't being one step ahead. Live it in the future. We're taking it to the internet. You were getting done by the mouse because they they give you nothing in terms of broadcast value. All right, we spent too much time on trashing ESPN+. Plus. I do want to preview the game. Uh, KU-Iowa State, top 15 showdown. Iowa State's a little lower. KU's actually a little higher if you look at Ken Palm. If you look at Ken Palm, it's number 38 versus number 4, which doesn't sound as appetizing. And, you know, if you are looking at the numbers next to each other, you see the point spread in Vegas and you go, this is a 12-point game. I was shocked. Top, yeah, that's a lot. Ken Palm has it at 11, so they usually are, are pretty in line with with what Ken Palm has. Um, but you have kind of a, another just classic Big 12 situation of what we've had so far. You have a team who has a really good defense, not so good offense. Um, they are elite defensively, sixth in the country in Ken Palm. They're only 146th offensively, so it's, it's interesting because they're um, – a team that they have some guys offensively you point to, like Tyrese Hunter, who's a really good freshman guard, Isaiah Brockington, who transferred in, and that dude is averaging 17 and 8 on 49% from the field, 41% from three, over 80% from the foul line. He's a stud. Tristan Anaruna, remember him? Um, they have a bunch of guys that can get baskets that just doesn't really come together all that well. But that that scares me a little bit more because like they're ranked lower than Oklahoma State's offense, who we saw was not good. But I think they have a higher potential. Like they, they may have a lower floor than Oklahoma State, but they have the ability to. Okay, if all of a sudden Isaiah Brockington goes for twenty-five, maybe the offense is actually okay that night. And paired with an elite defense, that can be problematic to trying to beat them. Yeah, their their Ken Palm. I don't know about their style, but their Ken Palm is actually pretty similar to uh, Oklahoma State. They are. Slightly, they're they're like they're sixth defensively and 148th offensively. Oklahoma State is 12th defensively and I think 124th offensively. 
So yeah, you you put it exactly right. They're better defensively and, and worse offensively. But yeah, I, I, that does worry me. But if you have one player that just gets a hot hand from three, um, like you know, Latrell Jostle hit a couple. I mean, he did. He only scored I think six or nine for Stephen F. Austin against KU. But I mean, if you have a guy who who comes out and either you've got a guy unexpectedly who is only averaging four points a game come out and can twelve. Or you have a guy who has shown the ability to before this year, like in a game against, um, I think, Xavier they had, where one yeah. of those guys put Brockington up like 30. 30. Yeah. So, and you have a game like that, and all of a sudden they're scoring 70 points because one guy has a super hot night. Uh, they make it hard on a team to get 270. Um, this is going to have to be a game where KU is going to have to, one, play well defensively, but also take huge advantages. One thing that the KU did against Oklahoma State was use Oklahoma State, uh, except for on the the, the awful nine-minute drought, um, when they were hot, they were using Oklahoma State's misses. And really, this is and the very few moments that they were hot against Texas Tech. Um, those moments were few and far between. But in those two games, when KU was hot, it was because they were turning the other team's Yes, you get turnovers, but also they're turning the other team's misses into fast break opportunities. Um, and that, funnily enough, was a very Roy Williams-esque trait, but this team has kind of taken on somewhat of that lifestyle um, that they're turning not just misses or not just turnovers into, into fast break points, but misses as well. And that's what you're going to have to do with this team. If, if Iowa State misses, you're going to have to turn those into points very quickly. Well, I think the key to me in this game is turnovers. As as I said with the Iowa State offense, like there's only one category they're even top 100 in Ken Palm. It's offensive rebounding. They're 85th. They're 101st in effective field goal rate. So they're not too far off. But the point is they don't really have – like Texas Tech wasn't a great offense, but they had a couple things that they were actually really good at, like offensive rebounding and, and two-point field goals, which bared itself out in that game. Iowa State doesn't really have a calling card outside of – hey, maybe just one of these guards will get hot, which, again, is a possibility. Um, and then defensively, they are elite at many different things. They are elite at um, effective field goal percentage. They force a ton of turnovers. Um, they maybe have gotten a little lucky. Teams are only shooting 26% from three against them. And the first thing I look to when teams are shooting poorly from three is what's your average height? Because if you have a lot of length, maybe it can affect that a little. They're 257th in average the, height. The comparison you made, who's who's the, the yeah, top, the 14, top. 15 Kentucky? Yeah. I mean, uh, that team uh, opponents shot under 30% from three on them. And it's because all their, I mean, their point That's guard because, was like six, seven. Yeah, their right? point guard was freaking bigger than you. Yeah, exactly. And they had Willie Cauley Stein playing power forward who was seven feet tall, but he could run like a small forward. So, um, Maybe that regresses a little bit to the mean in this game. But again, the thing I circle the most in this game is the turnover numbers. For Iowa State offensively, they are 275th in the country in turnover rate. They turn it over a very good amount. They're 261st in getting the ball stolen from them. So, something we always talk about, KU really good in transition, as you were just mentioning. They they won't just have the ability to do it on missed shots. They're going to have the ability to do it on turnovers. But the other way. Kansas, over the course of the non-con, was fantastic at not turning the ball over. Their numbers in conference play, it's just two games, but they've risen, and, and even the George Mason game, a little bit from they were looking like a top-20 team in turnover rate to all of a sudden they're 76. But still, it's a pretty solid number. If you sort it to just conference-only numbers, 
Kansas's turnover rate goes from turning it over about 17% of the time to turning it over almost 25% of the time, which is second to last in the Big 12. So is there a regression to the mean coming where KU is going to stop turning the ball over? Or because Iowa State is seventh in the country in turnover rate defensively, is this a bad signaling for KU? That's kind of how I view this game. I view it as KU should have opportunities to get out and run when when Iowa State turns the ball over because they do a good amount. But the difference to me of, of whether Kansas could win the game or cover the spread, however you want to view it, can they avoid having a big turnover game? I'm not sure if you can do a statistical breakdown of this exact thing without going back and watching every single offensive possession of this year. And so I, I, my eyes and my memory may be deceiving me a little bit, but a lot of the KU turnovers seem to be the result of trying to pass a little too much. Like, just take a good... Christian Brown has been... Criticized isn't the right word, but he's been guilty of passing up good looks to try to get somebody else an even better look. And sometimes that... Mitch Lightfoot had a game where he was so bad at turning the ball over because he just could not get it... And, and look... Sometimes you credit the defense because they have a good scouting report and they know what a player's outlook pass looks like and, and they can take advantage of that. Um, and then another place where the, the KU turnovers seem to come from is as impressive as, as um, Remy Martin has been in terms of assist-to-turnover ratio, he still is good for once or twice a game dribbling around way too much and at one point or another dribbling it right off his foot or his thigh. <laughs> and you can, you know, like that, that stuff's avoidable and, you know, taking good looks rather than trying to pass out all the time, um, you know, that, that can cut down on turnovers. And again, maybe I'm way wrong and maybe my, my eyes and my memory are deceiving me, but just thinking back to the games this season, it seems like a lot of KU turnovers have been. Uh, trying to get an extra pass when you don't necessarily have to mm -hmm. and just saying, okay, this one's good enough. Yeah, uh, I think Chris Pistola was on the call of um, the Oklahoma State game, and, and he said this team sometimes is guilty of overpassing. And uh, it's, you know, I think you'd rather have a team that overpasses than one that doesn't ever pass. So that's, it, it's almost like a, a positive that can sometimes you, you toe the line. So we'll see. How they do tonight? I mean, it's essentially an example of Remy himself. Like the whole team can be, in a, you know, is, is crystallized in Remy himself, mm -hmm. a guy who probably passes a little more than he should. When you like him, you like his unselfishness. But there are times where you're like, dude, just shoot the ball. Yeah. All right. He's Adam Dravetta. I'm Derek Johnson. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Matt Tate joins us in about 15 minutes. Kevin Flaherty in the four o'clock hour coming up next. Rock Chalk Pick a Hawk. Would you like to get involved in sponsoring Rock Chalk Sports Talk or the best of RCST podcast? How about getting involved in some KU action or local high school sports? You can reach out to us, djohnson at gpmnow.com. That's djohnson at gpmnow.com. And we'll see what we can do to help out your business and get involved here in local sports. Welcome back in. It's that time on a Tuesday. We talked to Matt Tate of the Lawrence Journal World, kusports.com. Matt Roy Williams going to be in attendance for tonight's game between KU and Iowa State. Um, I, I don't remember exactly when you started on the KU beat. Do you have a uh, a favorite story, though, or a favorite game or, or memory of the Roy Williams era at KU? Uh, yeah, for sure. So, I, I mean, I grew up in Lawrence, so that's a big part of it. So he was the head coach throughout my childhood and, and – uh, 
I knew his son and was friends with his son pretty pretty uh, for a long time, I guess I should say. And, and so, um, you know, always knew him a little different than just the basketball coach at KU, but also as my buddy's dad. So that was that was cool and uh, adds to it. Um, you know, as far as as far as uh, memories of any specific KU games during his time, I mean, you know, I really just think that that entire 2002, 2003 and even 2001, 2002, those, those runs to the Final Four, um, and obviously the championship game. I mean, when, when he had that team playing so fast, and, and, you know, they ran up against Oregon in the Elite Eight, uh, which I think would have been the – was that the first one? Was that 02? Yes. Yeah, so, you know, Oregon, right? The, the, the two Lukes, uh, Ridenauer and Luke Jackson and, and – uh, Super talented, played fast, crazy, crazy good team, and that KU team uh, led by Heinrich and, and Collison and all those guys just absolutely steamrolled past them. I mean, the way they played so fast was so cool, and you know, you you can think about all those memories that you have, whether you went to games or watched on TV or both, uh, where where every time KU would get a, a rebound, you'd see Roy waving his arm like he was a third base coach sending somebody home just begging them to push, 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 and race up the floor. I mean, I, I you know, for a, for a kid, right, at the, in, the, in, the, in that era, um, certainly the 90s anyway, uh, that was so cool because no one, no one wants to watch screening and rebounding and extra passes when you're a kid, you know. So I, I remember that most of all. Obviously, there are a few games that stand out, but th- that one was a, was a big one. And, of course, what they did to Marquette in the, in the Final Four the next year, um, just outrageous. I wasn't a kid then, but uh, but it was still just an unbelievable game. I've never seen, maybe since, uh, never seen a team just absolutely pummel someone quite like that on such a big stage, too. So um, an amazing coach, a, a great person. Uh, he was a great dad, uh, a great ambassador for KU, a great representative for, for Kansas and, and the city of Lawrence and all of that. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's really cool that he's going to be back there tonight. And, uh, it's really cool that from everything I can tell, whether it's fans or, or social media or whatever it is, people I've talked to, et cetera, uh, it's really cool that everybody's dying to see him and dying to shower him with all kinds of love because he deserves it. I mean, you know, it was a, it was a rough way to leave for sure, but, uh, things have worked out and, and enough time has passed by a long shot now for everybody to just get on their feet and absolutely scream and thank him for what he did because uh, for 15 years there was nobody that did it better. And, uh, you know, he missed out on the title but did everything else you could do and, and was uh, an unbelievable coach uh, and, and a huge part of Kansas basketball history. Matt, I'm kind of curious because you brought up the, the specifically the style in which he played and, and those teams in particular. Do you ever think back, just knowing what you know now, having having followed basketball as closely as you do, because this is something I do, do you ever sit back and think it's it's odd in the way that Bill Self does things uh, in the way versus the way Roy Williams does things, that Roy Williams' big conditioning drill was a six-minute mile or a five-and-a-half-minute mile? It seems like Bill Self's boot camp would be like right up the alley of how Roy Williams had his team play, right, in terms of the condition he wanted them in. No doubt. I mean, yeah, there's a lot of people that want to say they're very different um, in their styles and in the way, you know, Self obviously uh, hangs his hat on defense and demands defensive excellence and all that. But 
but Bill Self wants to play fast too. Uh, you know that that that's that's nothing new, and uh, and maybe it's overshadowed a little because of the emphasis on defense. But it's not like he wants them to walk it up. I mean, he's always wanted his teams to play fast too, and and uh, you know it, it 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 does get overlooked a little bit. But but I think yeah, I mean I think the attention to detail, which which you know a lot of a lot of programs obviously push conditioning. Big and small, but but the attention to detail in that and demanding um, the the you know the excellence that comes with that. I mean, it's not just hey, we're going to run some sprints because somebody messed up and was late to class, or or it's a discipline thing, or you didn't hit the right number on our shooting drill, so now you got to run. I mean, that that's what conditioning is on a lot of programs, um, and and there's nothing wrong with that, but. Uh, taking it to that next step and doing the boot camp or doing that time mile and all that stuff. I mean, that, that, to me, that's always just been something that goes another, goes another level and, and, uh, and is a big part of why they expect so much out of their players. And also, it's a big part of preparing their players for where they want to go. You know, you, you don't reach the NBA by just being a, you know, oh, I'll run a couple sprints and get by. No, you've got to push yourself every single day. Uh, if you want to play on that stage, you're you're trying to compete with the best of the best in the world, and and um, you're not going to get there that way. You know, you've got to be pushed, and you've got to push yourself, and and that's why um, Roy Williams, Bill Self, John Calipari, you know, and others on that list, of course. Um, th- that's why so many of those elite elite type players go play for those guys because they know they'll get that when they go play for them and they know they'll get it every day. So yeah, a huge, a huge part of, of both of their times at Kansas. And of course, coach Williams time at, at North Carolina, I mean, th- that conditioning and demanding excellence, even in that, um, th- that's a huge part of it. We're talking with Matt Tate of the Lawrence journal world, KUSports.com. What do you think is more important both, I guess, for tonight with the game against Iowa state and, really moving forward more so um, with the ultimate goal, obviously, being to try to win a title, make a Final Four, win the Big 12, all those things. Uh, which of these do you think is, is more prevalent, getting Remy Martin healthy and scoring at a higher level or KU getting better play out of the five position? Oh, man, it's probably the five just because you, you've got to have something there. And, and, and Self talked about this a little bit yesterday. Um with with you know he he said it a couple weeks ago I think and he and he brought it back again yesterday but he's looking for 20 points and 12 rebounds out of that position and he is absolutely convinced that that's not that hard and that not that high of a bar to set and and it probably isn't when you look at you know you could possibly look at playing two three four guys even at that five spot uh, 10 12 whatever minutes a game. You know, at that point, if you break it down, let's just say by two, you know, then, then you need one of them to get 10 and six. And in and, and 20 minutes, I, you know, I don't think that's unheard of, especially the way KU plays. So they've got to get the production because they have to have some kind of uh, offensive punch there. Um, could they get by offensively with just Remy and a bunch of guards like Ochai and Brown and Jalen and Jalen and all those guys running around and scoring? Yeah, they could. But I think defensively they've got to find more, and uh, that was obviously very, very problematic at Texas Tech. I think Texas Tech had 16 buckets right at the rim, and and you know probably seemed like more to most people because there was just never uh, there was never that presence in there. 
that even that that presence in there that even remotely made Texas Tech think twice about driving all the way to the rim. So whether you think they've got to play through the bigs or not is a whole other story and a whole other question, but you've got to have someone in the paint that, that, that gives you that presence and, and at least can make somebody else, um, you know, think twice about just attack, 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 you know, and, and, and Dave can do that. I mean, Dave's got the size and, and the experience to do that. He's just got to be more consistent and get out of his way, get out of his head. Um, and, and Mitch, if Dave can get going, and I know that's been a theme all year, um, but, but if he can get going, then Mitch Lightfoot's a perfect guy to have right behind him in that role. So, um, I, I, yeah, I think they absolutely have to get that going. But, I, you know, to answer your question, I mean, if I had to pick one or the other, I would pick the bigs. But I think the right answer is probably both. I mean, we've seen what this team looks like without Remy, and it's, it's, not, as, it's not as good. Um, he brings a different dimension, too, and it's a totally different thing than, than – production from the five spot but he's another weapon he's he's uh he's pure speed he's he's uh attacking he's he's a guy that people opposing defenses have to account for um you don't just take that off the floor and and expect that you're going to be just as good you know so i do think there's a lot of upside and a lot of potential with what remy can bring still and i'm sure i'm sure he does too and i know they expect it from him and and, um, I, you know, I, I think you need both to get to that Final Four type level. If, if you, you just want to make a good run and finish first or second in the Big 12 and maybe get to the Sweet 16, then maybe you just need that production from the five. But if you want both, if you want – I'm sorry, if you want to make a real run and be in the conversation as a contender, I think you got to have both. Yeah, and I, I think it's also an interesting discussion. Me and Adam were, were kind of having this a little yesterday about the idea of – you know, with with as good as Baylor is at the top of the conference, like, do you almost sacrifice um, some play in the near term to basically say, you know, let's play one of these young guys a little bit more, and maybe we won't be as good for the next couple weeks or couple months, or who knows, maybe it'll never even get there this year, but maybe it'll help you in March. I, I don't I don't know the answer to that, which actually brings me to I want to do a new little uh, new little segment with you. Uh, when is the last time you took a uh, like a Scantron test? Oh my gosh! Uh, you're talking about filling in the circles. Yeah, right? I mean, you remember those though, right? Oh yeah. Okay. Oh yeah. I couldn't tell you if my life depended on it the last <laughs> time I took one, but I know what you're talking about. Okay, so I I haven't decided. Maybe we'll call this like testing with Tate, or I don't know. Tate test sounds like taste test, but it's not tasting anything. I don't know. We'll workshop it. Um, so I'm gonna okay. have you. Oh, go ahead. No, no, I said, okay, I'm good. I, I, I'm I, a big fan of segments. Okay. And, uh, you know, you make me the star of one of them, and I, I love you forever. That's so let's right. go. I'm here. I'm eager to hear this. What is it? All right, so you have basically, you know, close your eyes and envision. Actually, don't close your eyes because I know you're driving. But envision in your mind um, <laughs> a, a Scantron, and you have your four options, A, B, C, and D, right? You're taking a test. The one question on the test that I am asking you, more minutes played tonight. Option A, Mitch Lightfoot. Option B, David McCormick. Option C, Jalen Wilson specifically at the five. And option D, Zach Clements plus KJ Adams. Wow. That is a riveting great, stuff. That's that is riveting. <laughs> and it's way better than any of those dumb questions <laughs> I ever read on those tests that I actually took. So thank you. 
Um, those were horrific. <laughs> uh, let's see, man. Um, I don't know that you can reliably say option D. I just I don't know if self's there yet. And as you alluded to a minute ago, I don't know that he'll ever get there. So I don't I don't I'm not going to say D. Um, Dave or Mitch is interesting. I'm also not going to say Jalen at the five um, just yet. I don't think they're quite to that desperate level yet. I think he's he's ready and willing, and this might be a good game to do it too. Um, give Dave and Mitch, um, or maybe both of them, uh, another chance or two before he you know really starts going with well we're going to have to do something different now. He's close, and he's considered it, and he's thought about it, and he's talked about it. We all know that, but. I don't think he's he's ready to completely pull the cord on on uh, you know trying something new. I mean, you might see it for a few minutes. I, I don't think that's crazy at all. Um, you might see it for a few minutes every game moving forward. But but to think that that would be the answer to this question right now, anyway, is is probably not right. Um, so Mitch was A or, or Dave was Mitch was A, Dave was B. Is that right? That's correct. Make sure to fill I'm in the right go, bubble. Yeah, I'm going to circle in with my number two pencil. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going to circle the entirety because I don't want it to read wrong and scan wrong and have a failing grade. I'm going to circle the entirety of Bubble B. I think David McCormick starts. I think he plays a lot. I think he plays well. And I'm not going to say that that means he's back, and I won't write that either because I, I you know, we all got burned on that the other day um, after that Oklahoma State game. So, mm-hmm. um, but But I, I do think that uh, I, I'll tell you why, too. I asked self yesterday specifically how, how Dave's mindset is, how his mental health is regarding his season. And, and uh, without hesitation, he said it's good. It's good. You know, it's not like he's panicking, and it's not like he's totally in the tank or his confidence is on the floor or anything like that. So, um, you know, I, I, I would imagine he probably would have been honest there. He also might have not said it's as bad as it is if, if he, you know, if it really is worse. But, um, but but it was a quick answer, and, and I felt like that was a good sign for the Dave fans out there because he has to stay confident. He has to he has to remain positive and believe that he can still get this thing going. And and so the fact that 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 answer came so quickly makes me think that he's probably okay, and and he just needs a good stretch because that's all it was last year. It was it was a good stretch. You remember it as well as anyone, Dave. Every time he played well, talked about free mind, free heart. He knows the equation. You talk about a test. I mean, he's already got all the answers. He's just got to go out there and get out of his own head and play free and play hard and see what that brings. And, and I think that, you know, the, the upside of this team is tied a lot to, to David McCormick's production. And so I think, Self, whatever it takes, especially because we're here at January 10th and not necessarily, you know, mid to late February, I think Self's willing to give him two, three, Maybe maybe even more more tries, just to see if he can get that thing going. Because if he can, everything changes. So I, I think David McCormick plays well tonight. I think it will help him tremendously being back at home and feeling the love, and uh, and, and I think it's a decent matchup as well. And, and so I, I think he will go since since you can't do much more than fill in the bubble. I'll just keep blabbering here, and I'll say he plays. 24 minutes and has a double double. Wow. Bold. Pretty bold. Yeah. Pretty bold. bold. I love it. That's why we bring you on. We're talking with Matt Tate. Matt, before we let you go, one last thing with Adam. 
All right, Matt, one last thing. You mentioned you were buds with uh, Roy Williams' son growing up, so two questions for you. Did you ever get a Coke from the famous Roy Williams Coca-Cola garage fridge, and have you ever spit into the Mississippi River? <laughs> Those are great questions. The Coke, I'm, I, 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 yeah, I think so. Uh, the River, no, I never did do that. But my favorite story uh, of, of being tied to, to Scott Williams and, and growing up with him is it was it was actually when we were all in college still, and, and Scott went to North Carolina and and uh, played basketball down there as a walk on, and, and so he was home for uh, summer one time or short period of time, but. Um, him and uh, Brad Frederick, um, same age, Dr. Frederick's son, they were back, and uh, they both played at Carolina. So, uh, you know, my buddies and I that were here went to KU. We were, we were in college and had learned about, you know, going out and parties and all that stuff because we didn't really do much of that in high school. So Scott called one night and said, you know, he wanted to go do home run derby at one of the, one of the softball or baseball fields like we used to do growing up. And, um that sounded cool. We always loved it as kids, but, you know, growing up uh, and being college guys now, we were like, eh, we're probably just going to drink some beers, man, and get a 30-pack, blah, blah, blah. So we said, nah, thanks, but no thanks. Well, he called back, I don't know, maybe 30 minutes later, and uh, he asked again, and, and uh, he said this time he added the caveat that Pops wants to pitch. So Roy Williams threw BP to us that night. We all mm. decided that sounds a little more fun, and uh, – Coach Williams threw BP to us. Uh, most of the guys that I that were in that crew um, played some kind of baseball in their lives. I stopped at 12 when I realized how absolutely terrible I was at it <laughs> and didn't like it. Um, but I'd go out there and swing with the best of them. And, and uh, I, I hate to tell you, we probably had eight or nine guys out there that night, and I, I hate to tell you that I was the only one that didn't leave the yard off of Roy. Um, oh. And he wanted it, man. He was... He was. He knew. He kept track because, again, attention to detail. So he knew the last few when his arm was wearing down, and he said he was going to have to stop. He he held up the ball, and he's like, "Come on, let's go. This is the one." And he groove it in there as best he could, right where I wanted it. And the very last swing off the top of the fence. Oh. Did he did he happen to bring that up when you were talking to him during the press conference at the uh, 60th anniversary of Allen Fieldhouse thing? That that didn't come up, but I did talk to him uh, last summer on the phone for uh, for his thoughts when I did a little series on the the Last Dance, the Michael Jordan documentary, and uh, a really cool story that that I did that, that was connected to Coach Williams and using Jordan right after he arrived at Kansas as part of his recruiting pitch uh, to future Jayhawks and such. And uh, so when we were talking on the phone, it that did come up then, and and crazier story than not leaving the yard because anybody that knows me wouldn't be surprised by that part but i was also the one that almost became public enemy number one because i did hit a an absolute rocket line drive chuck and duck type of thing <laughs> right back at him and luckily he was you know pretty young dude then still and uh he was able to get out of the way but i uh i i was that close to being the guy that you know took one off of Roy's head and, and became a really bad person in the, in the history of Kansas basketball. So I will take missing him on the line drive, and, uh, and if that meant I didn't get the home run, I'll take that versus the, uh, the other way there. But, but yeah, uh, just a, it, it was always cool to, to, to get to see him as, as Scott's dad and in that light, and you know, just a terrific dad, terrific guy, and, and uh, really happy for him to be so happy um, in retirement. That was a shock. 
when he uh, when he retired last April 1st. Remember, it was April 1st, and everybody thought it was an mm-hmm. April Fool's joke. Um, the crazy thing, as I was looking up and writing a little bit yesterday, uh, Roy was also inducted into the Hall of Fame on April 1st in, I believe it was 2007. So 14 years apart, he gets a Hall of Fame induction on April Fool's Day and then gets uh, announces his retirement. So really cool to see all that retirement stuff, though. Obviously, a very Carolina blue, North Carolina, end of a chapter thing down there. But, um, you know, boy, he made it He made it a lot about his time at Kansas and the people here, too, and, and obviously had nothing but great things to say um, and really made sure to, to remind the world that, that he wasn't just Roy Williams who won three titles at, at Carolina. He was Roy Williams who was as good as it got and the best in the business for 15 years at Kansas, and, and obviously those two things mean a great deal to him. So it's going to be really cool to see him there tonight. I know everybody wants him to be wearing the black turtleneck with the, with the Jayhawks sticker. Um, I think it'd be amazing if he did that. I don't know if he has it in him. Probably not, but I think it would be, I think it would be the coolest thing ever. And I promise you, if he does do that, I will have a really hard time writing my story about the actual game because that will be any, all anybody wants to read about. That's a, that's an amazing thing. So either way, great to have him back. And, and as Coach Self said yesterday, uh, you know, Hopefully this won't be the last time. I mean, I think it'd be really cool if he uh, was a regular at least every year or so. He had a, a couple of uh, cameos at Allen Fieldhouse for a game because he's going to love it. I mean, he coached there. He knows what it feels like. But he also hasn't felt that in, in forever, you know. And, and uh, so he's going to absolutely love it and, and getting that experience of just sitting there with a Coke and, and a popcorn and your wife. I mean, that, that's. That's going to be a first for him, and and when you've accomplished as much as he has and done all that he's done in college basketball, to find a first still this far down the road is is pretty darn cool. So the ovation will be awesome. Uh, I'm sure he'll have a blast, and uh, it'll be great for, for college basketball and for Kansas. He is Matt Tate. You can check out his piece after the game about Roy Williams, whatever happens with KU Iowa State, uh, KUSports.com and in the LJ world. Matt, thank you so much for the time as always, man. All right, you guys. Thanks very much. Have a good one. All right, that was Matt Tate of the Lawrence Journal World, KUSports.com. One hour down, two to go. This is RCST. Four o'clock hour. We're out at 530 today. Coverage of KU Iowa State starts up here on KLWN and our sister station, 105.9 KISS. We'll have Kevin Flaherty join the show in about 35 minutes from right now. With Adam Dravetta, I'm Derek Johnson on RCST. So Roy Williams coming back to town. I've heard of him. Yes, you have. A former KU basketball coach. 15 seasons with KU. Took over after Larry Brown won the title, left the program to go to the NBA. KU was um, sanctioned by the NCAA, missed the NCAA tournament, which was the last time they missed the NCAA tournament. Which is also the reason a lot of people didn't, a lot of bigger name coaches didn't want the job. Well, boy, did it work out. Think of the difference between then and now. Like, if you have a great program with the resources like KU and you say to a potential hire, all right, you can come on in, we'll pay you $6 million a year, but you're going to have to miss the tournament for the first year, no coach would say no to that. Oh, 100%. Back back then, everybody said no to it. I think part of it, too, is the money now. Like, uh, nowadays, coaches are getting... I guess in basketball, it's five to seven million dollars or something like that. Whereas back in the day, it's not as much. So, you know, you're gonna have a little more security financially, I guess, with it now. And you just there are so there are differences. 
I mean, even though a lot of the smaller programs are really bringing up their their um, their resources, there are still haves and have nots oh, in college 100%. sports. Yeah, there if are. you have a chance to coach at a have, then you take it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So Roy Williams from 1989 to 2003 made four Final Fours. Is that right? 91, 93, 02, 03. And you I also have... that was Minneapolis, New Orleans, Atlanta, New Orleans. The only the only one I'm not sure of was 91. That may have been Minneapolis, not Indianapolis. Well, then you also have what many consider to be the greatest KU team of all time, the 96-97 team that, that didn't hurt. make a Final Four. Um, nope. The 97-98 team was really freaking good, too. And they that they made it even, they didn't even make it as far yeah. as 97. Um, yeah, that those two hurt my heart. Okay, well, let's... So I was, I mean... Basically, I was only alive. For, I was born in 1995, so I wasn't alive for much of the Roy Williams era, and nor was I really present, being so young, to much of what happened. You're a little older than me, so you were present to more of the back half of his career. But even then, even like, I remember the early stuff for for you. Even even the years after the early Roy Williams years, it's like you were at least old enough years oh, after I to be vivid, able to memorialize I, that stuff too right yeah like, i vividly remember oh or 97 losing day i remember oh or 96 um kansas is a two seed they could have been a one seed but iowa state beat us beat them beat ku uh in the big eight in the last year of the existence of the big eight beat kansas 56 55 in the big eight tournament championship so ku pr- arguably had an argument for a one seed wound up as a two Played Arizona in the Sweet 16 in 96, an amazing game. Arizona jumped out to a lead. KU won by three. Um, and then in the very next year, they play in the Sweet 16 again. Arizona gets their revenge. So I, I, I remember, and then one of my earliest life memories, I don't remember in as much detail as I do some of the later games, but I remember it being a big deal and, and, and when the players started jumping around and knowing and, and like, learning what a big deal the Final Four was in 93. I remember watching at least – I remember pieces of, particularly the celebration, watching Kansas beat Indiana in in St. Louis in 2000 – or in um, in 1993. Well, I guess the point is, like, I I, I figured I'd kind of lean on you here. So what, I guess, is is your lasting memory um, maybe be a way or or something that sticks out the most of the Roy Williams era, Roy Williams at KU? Um, not, I, I think it, how can I put this? I, I probably fi- finally breaking through in O two. um, because it, it was like those teams in 97 and 98 were so good. And then in 99, they fell off a little bit. They were six seed. They gave Kentucky hell in the second round and took them to overtime, but, but lost. Um, they were an eight seed in 2000, but, um, and then lost and only lost to Duke by five in the second round. And that game was in Raleigh. So basically Duke's backyard. And then I remember watching that group of players grow. They were a Oh one, they were a four. And then of course the next year. And I, and, and I, I remember the, the theme going into the tournament in Oh two, Kansas is a one seed. They were the first team to ever go undefeated in the big 12. Um, and, you just were like, uh, you couldn't let go. Roy Williams had never made the Final Four as a one seed, and he'd been a one seed four, four or five times. And the only times he made a Final Four were as a three and a two. Um, 
and so you kind of had these memories back to that. And, and then I remember struggling against Holy Cross in the first round in 02. We, it was my first tournament games I ever went to. I was in St. Louis. Mm. My family and I went. Um, <laughs> he probably didn't and I was sitting there. Yeah. I was sitting there at halftime, going, "We, they're going to lose this damn game to their 16 seed." And then I remember being nervous against Stanford the next game, thinking Kirk Heinrich rolled his ankle in the last round. The last time we were, you know, Kansas was a one seed. They lost to Rhode Island in the second round. You know, just annoying um, sort of thoughts. And then they, they just pulverizing with um, not Western Kentucky, uh, Stanford. Stanford had beaten Western Kentucky in the second or in the in the round of 64. Um, I, I think of, I remember I, my biggest memories of Roy, probably what I, what I, what came after and realizing, because I was just so used to, okay, yeah, college, a great college basketball team scores 95 points a game. That's just what they do. <laughs> um, and, and, you know, that, that was probably the, and then, you know, when, when I mean, things, and honestly, which at that time, like in the NBA, that was more than some NBA yeah, teams. Yeah, like Pistons were at their height, right? Yeah, a hundred wasn't super. Well, it was, it was common in the NBA, but it wasn't just a given by any means. Um, and so, you know, that that was. Um, I remember, you know, amazing, amazing matchups with Arizona. Uh, whether we, you know, Kansas turned out on the fun end or the or the the losing end of that. Um, but I, you know, I I, I never. Um, you know, it took time for me to really understand because it just was a given. KU's great at basketball. That's been a given my whole life, and it's because of of Roy Williams and Bill Self, and Kansas doesn't get Bill Self without having such great career of Roy Williams. Um, and I, I just, it, it was, um, and I, I just, I think, I don't know, the biggest thing is just as I get older realizing how spoiled you are as a fan um, and how great Roy was um, and how much, you know, how, how fun those, I think, you know, just, just, it was so fun every year. Um, and, you know, I, I, I don't know, probably the fun is uh, if I had to boil it down to one word, just the fun of those teams. And, so and, it, if you had to pick one game, your favorite Roy Williams game, what would it be? Just a Roy um, Williams coach game, obviously. It would have been Arizona Elite Eight 2003. Because okay. Arizona came into Allen Field. They had a home-and-home home in the 0102 season and 0203 seasons. Arizona and KU had a home-and-home. Home. In the 0102 season, KU went to Tucson and won an amazing game. It was, a, it was a college basketball game, and the final score was 105-97. to It was an amazing college basketball game. Um, and then Arizona came back up. Talon Fieldhouse the following year, the day before the Super Bowl, and um, they, it was, I can't remember the score at half, but KU just played a perfect half of basketball. They torched Arizona in the first half, and Arizona was ranked number one in the country, and um, and then Arizona, all of a sudden, KU just went away in the second half, and Arizona couldn't miss. And Arizona went from down 18 to winning by 17, and I've never seen a turnaround like that. And I thought, good God, that was terrible. And so uh, Kansas gets the two seed, um, realizing they're in the West because that was Arizona's bracket. That game, Those games were in Anaheim. Um, for the second year in a row, almost crapping in your hat in the first round, they only, they only beat Utah State by 
three. There was that that like six foot seven, six foot eight power forward on Utah State. I can't remember his name. Yeah. And he just gave KU all sorts of issues. Um, but then to to get that revenge against Arizona, and it wasn't just it. It felt like revenge for '97, also not just revenge for Arizona coming into Allen Fieldhouse in that January and beating Kansas. It felt like okay, because that Arizona team was probably. Except for maybe, I mean, you the, look back on it. There are a lot of they, pros. That on the might roster. have been the best team in the nation that what, year. What is like Andre Iguodala, who's been. In, um, I mean, he'll be a basketball. I think Baby Walton played for that who team. Was fantastic college player. You had uh, Jason Gardner. Gardner was, a fantastic was on that college team. player. Yeah. I mean, that was, um, that was a loaded Arizona. Yeah, that was a, that probably them or Kentucky, who also didn't make the Final Four, probably was the best team in in um, college basketball that year. And KU was up. Uh, they they actually got out to a decent spurt to start the game and then Arizona chiseled back and it was like 38-35 at halftime and then Kansas started the second half again uh you know with a little running out to maybe about an eight point lead and Arizona was so good they never let him get away um and then finally 78-75 and and Kansas I mean Arizona has the ball and they put up a corner three that that heaved off and um Jeff Graves wound up with the uh, – that was back when the big thing to do when a game was over was bounce it off the court and let it go <laughs> as high as it could. And Jeff Graves had the honor of doing that the, as the rest of the player was players were charging to the bench to celebrate that they just made their second consecutive Final Four. Um, Jeff Graves caught that rebound and just launched the ball off the floor. Um, and I remember watching that game in my parents' bedroom – on a dinky little TV because KU was doing better if I was in there. And my mom and my sister watched in the living room and I refused to join them because KU was doing better. Um, so that I'm, I'm trying to think of a regular season game that would, that, that I, but probably honestly also Arizona in, in the 0102 season was, um, well, I mean, for those amazing. Though, I, Texas in 02, Texas, it was like 110 to 101. Kansas went down to Austin and beat Texas in overtime. Well, I mean, the amazing. Nick Collison game, but you remember that more Tech, for Nick Collison. Exactly. Uh, neither of us remember this one. I wasn't even alive. I don't know if you have any memory I don't, of The this. Kentucky the one? Kentucky no, one. I don't remember that one. 150 to 95. Um, and at one point, Roy Williams calls a timeout because for Rick Patino because Patino was out of timeouts. Which uh, interesting story, Patino probably had Roy left for North Carolina the first time. Patino probably would have been the KU coach. That is wild um, to think about. Absolutely wild yeah. to think about. Um, I I don't know what to do with that. Yeah, that, uh, that, he was thought of as kind of a big name. That's um, crazy for for KU that year. It had had Roy left in two thousand. You know, I think for for people too who would mention that Kentucky game, like if that's if you remember basketball, like those days, if you're a little older than both of us. I, I'm sure because I, I want to bring these two games up. 1993 Elite Eight game against Indiana. That, like I said, that's one of my big, earliest sports. That was the number one was team, game. I believe. They were a one seed. I don't know if they were number one team. And then 1991 Elite Eight against Arkansas. Is that who they beat? Yes, that okay. was uh, that was the Elite, and then they beat North Carolina in the Final Four yep. before the Duke title game. But Arkansas, that was a team with the uh, 40 minutes of hell. Yep. With Nolan uh, Richardson. Nolan Richardson and. I the team won the national championship. I want to say it was later. Adonis Jordan or uh, it might have been Alonzo Jameson. One of the two. I think it was actually Alonzo Jameson went off in that game for like 25, 26 points. I, I I'm sure if you asked a lot of people who are maybe you know in their late thirties, forty years old or something like that, that would be the game they think of. Yeah, that, and that was huge to get back to the Final Four when Roy Williams, you know, having been hired two years before. Again, I don't remember that game, but I would imagine. 
um, that was a big, um, you know, that, that was a big, big deal. I remember, I can't well, remember. So you know how the regionals now are like the, the West, Midwest, East, and then yeah, what, yeah, South? Yeah. This was the Southeast back when yeah, that was they the did thing. that. Yeah. I love that. So Ar- Arkansas they, was, got was, up, the, was the Elite Eight, was that in Birmingham? It was in Charlotte, Charlotte, North Carolina. Okay. Um, Arkansas got up, got up 47 to 35 in that game at halftime. And that Arkansas team ended up going, which means, I mean, they were number two headed into the tournament overall. Okay. Um, they were 34 and three coming into that game. They were 15 and one in conference play. They got up 12 at halftime. If you're a Kansas fan, I'm, I'm sure you're thinking, oh no, what's going to happen? They end up scoring 58 points in the second half to win 93 to 81. Alonzo Jameson had 26 points on 11 of 14 shooting. Roy told this story, and I can't remember which player it was, but it was ahead of his second year at KU, in which KU was, I think, a two or three seed. They were a two seed, and their seven was UCLA, and I'm pretty sure UCLA beat them in the second round, so they, they disappointed as a two seed. But Roy told this story coming into that season. It was going to be the first year they were eligible for the tournament, and Roy um, had a player come into his office and said, I'm really worried this year. And they were in the Big 8 back then. He said, why? What's up? He said, well, I just read this story, and they picked us to finish seventh. Coach, there's only eight teams in the conference. <laughs> and he said, don't worry, man. We're going to be really, really good, and we're going to play a really fun brand of basketball. And, of course, he was right. They, and I, I often wonder if that, if, if being down 12, while being while scary, felt like how we feel as Chiefs fans now um, with Patrick Mahomes, where, like, it's not an ideal position but you've never seen anything this explosive before. Like Roy Williams bringing in that style of play must have been so fun because uh, you, you really hadn't seen it much before. And I wonder how much hope there was down 12 um, to or, or to Arkansas because Arkansas was very good. Nolan Richardson was a fantastic coach. He won a title a few years later. But when you think this team was so fast, so talented, knew how to play fast, um, and It'd you be know, the and you know, style to play that to go against to the press yeah. exactly. And so, if you're going to make a comeback on a press, that was a style to do it with. Yeah. Now that 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 would be a very fun game to watch. Although you would, dur- you know, during big games like when it's halftime and your team's down or something, that that feels like it's an hour. Like imagine that halftime. Um, oh yeah. I do want to before we go to break here. Um, beyond the memories, Roy Williams obviously has had some fantastic teams. I think a lot of times, just because it's it's more recent and. It's more, I don't know, maybe in, in my wheelhouse, just of, of more knowledge on it. Um, we'll get stuck with, you know, the best players of the Bill Self era, the best situations of the Bill Self era. And again, because we're living it, and it's more recent and all that stuff. So and it makes for sense. the record, it, it has lasted longer than the oh, Roy yeah, Williams yeah. era. I want to do a all Roy Williams KU draft. So we'll each draft six right, players. You get right. five players, you have to starting lineup at a sixth man. Okay. Okay? Do you want the first pick or the second pick? I'll take the first pick. All right. We're doing a serpentine yep, draft? we'll go serpentine. Um. Well, this one's really tough. I I, I'm a, I don't know I'm why a, you took the first pick. Cause I, I, know. I mean, honestly, it wouldn't really be that clear for me at the second pick, to be honest, either. I think there are legitimately... I think there are four guys that... Give maybe me, five. Give me Collison. Okay. I, it's, I'm between two players, and I... I it's so hard to not take the other, but I'm taking Collison. So I'm going to go Rafe LaFrance. Yeah, that's... Rafe LaFrance, I still maintain, is the most underrated... KU basketball player ever, or at least under-discussed. Underrated might not be the right word because he won Big 12 Player of the Year back-to-back year. So in his time, he was very highly thought of. But he's not, because those his teams didn't make, D, I think the deepest he ever made as a Jayhawk was um, the Elite Eight in 96. 
Um, so because he never got to a Final Four, he's not thought of as highly. He was amazing. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I mean, what two time? I don't know if one of them was Big Eight and one was Big Twelve. No, it was, but, ba- it was okay, Big, Twelve, both Big Twelve, both ninety seven and ninety eight. Unbelievable player. It was funny. He played power forward for those teams, yep, and nowadays 45. he's playing center, right? Um, oh yeah. Which imagine him as a center? How much of it? Because he could hit. He wasn't like a three point shooter, but also. I would imagine if he grew up nowadays, he would be a three-point shooter because he was good at mid-range. Yeah. And, and you know, nowadays Same he probably is shooting threes. Exactly. Like, Drew Gooden today is shooting threes as a stretch. But he's basically a matchup nightmare. Yeah. So I I, I would love that as Rafe LaFrance. Um, my next pick, see, this is where it gets tough to me. Um, because realistically, like, I'm looking at three guys here. I'm looking at Jock Vaughn. I think probably the best point. I don't know. You could have an argument with Kirk Heinrich, but also do you consider him more of a, a true point guard or an yeah, off guard? If you're talking best point know. guards, you're going Miles, who played for two years under self. Yeah. Miles or Vaughn. Yeah. Um, do I go with Paul Pierce, who's probably the most talented player yeah. that he had, or do I go with Drew Gooden, like you said? I, I'm going to go with Paul Pierce. I'll put him on the wing. Uh, such a talented player, and, and how can I go wrong with uh, two of those 96 guys who they were number one or number two every week in the poll? Unbelievable. Yeah. Um, I'm going to go Jacques Vaughn to bring the ball up the court and to join him in bringing the ball up the court slash play a very reliable two-man, Kirk Heinrich. Mm, I really like those picks for you. Okay, this is is real tough. Okay, so names that are still on the board uh, that could be possible picks here. Rex Walters, Aaron Miles. Alonzo Jameson. Donis Jordan. Um, if Kenny I want three-point shooting, Gregory. Jeff Boshi, Keith Langford. See, I, okay, I don't know what to do with, with like, Keith Langford and Aaron Miles, for instance. Same because, with Wayne Simeon. Yeah, Wayne Simeon, too. Simeon, especially but Simeon. Simeon's the toughest. It, because he didn't, there was exactly. one year he didn't even play. Well, His most, year, most though, of one year he didn't even play because he didn't have a, his shoulder was out of whack. He didn't but, play most of his sophomore year, but like his All American year was under so, uh, Bill Self. So like, 05. I don't get to view him as that version of Wayne Simeon if we're we're talking Roy Williams yeah. era. Same for you know, I I think Keith Langford it's fine. Like his his first two years were incredible with KU as well. Aaron Miles too. Um, I'll go Drew Gooden here just to say this. I don't I don't know which of those two would play center between Drew Gooden and Rafe LaFrance. Yeah. Did Drew Gooden play more center or power forward with Nick Collison? Or I guess it didn't really matter if they clarified. No, I don't even remember that being. Yeah. They, I don't know. They played such a wide open offense that I couldn't tell you, but I would guess he played more of what you would think of as a five. Yeah. Okay. So I have Leif, Rafe LaFrance, Drew Gooden. That, that was a super wide open offense. Paul Pierce. I don't have any guards, so I have to get guards here. I need three point shooting. Um,. That's the thing. I, I kind of want to take Keith Langford, but like that just doesn't make sense if I'm actually like building a roster here. So I'll go with I'll go with Rex Walters, and it is your pick. Rex Walters can shoot. He gives me shooting on the outside and ball handling. That's what I need. So you have two straight picks. So names that pop up just to give you an idea. Right now you have Jock Vaughn and Kirk Heinrich. Yep. You have Nick Collison. Um Mentioned Aaron Miles, Adonis Jordan, Jared Haas, Ryan Robertson, Jeff Boshi, Tony or Terry Brown, uh, Keith Langford, Milt Newton, Alonzo Jameson. Did you say you took Rex Walters? Yes, I did. Uh, Kenny Gregory, Billy Thomas, Mark Randall, Scott Pollard, Wayne Simeon, Jeff Graves. I don't know. Um, Adonis is still on the board, right? Yes, he is. 
Yeah, the thing, ah, I don't know because he was so a three short. Three-yard lineup, though. I know, and he was five eleven. Um, you want me to tell you who I think you should take? I'm going through rosters right now. Go ahead. I think Keith Lankford would make a lot of sense on your team. I've got two picks, don't I? Yeah. Um, you don't have a wing right now. Yeah. Um, yeah, Keith Lankford. And so you need another big. How many do I have now? Five? You have four. This will be your fifth. Um, you can go true center route. Mark Randall. That's Scott well, I'm, I'm between I'm between two centers right now. Wayne Simeon. Um, I took Collison, right? David Padgett. Um, it just depends on on who I want to, on what style I want to play. Yeah. I, could, I could arguably make Nick Collison a five and play a stretch style. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you could put a wing in there. You could put like Kenny Gregory, you know, at the four. Uber athlete. Um, you know what? Even though he was quite a bit shorter than Ostertag, I'm going to take Scott Pollard. Okay. I think he's probably a better scorer. Ostertag had a few inches on him. He was 7-2. Um, but, yeah, I'm going to take Scott Pollard. Okay, so I'm going to go Aaron Miles for my point guard. I got Miles, Walters, Pierce, LaFrance, Gooden. You have Vaughn, Heinrich, Langford, Collison, Pollard, and then we both got to take our sixth man. So for the sixth man, you want somebody who can come off the bench and score. That immediately makes me think of a guard, but that is really tempting. Wayne Simeon is a sixth man. Um, I will go with the guard thing, though. Do I go Adonis Jordan or Jeff Boshi? That is the question. Hmm. I mean, Adonis Jordan was, like, inarguably the better player between those two. But uh, part of me just wants to take Jeff Boshi. I'll go with Adonis Jordan as a sixth man. Who's your sixth man? Um... He can't still be available. Who? Billy Thomas. Yeah, he is. Billy Thomas. If you want some three-point shooting. See how he shot. That's... Eh, I need him to shoot. Downtown Terry Brown. I need... I need... No, I think... Because Billy Thomas hovered around 41 and 40% his last two years, but he didn't shoot very much. I need him to shoot more, but yeah, I'll take Billy Thomas off the bench. All right. He's a 6'4 guard. Perfect. There's our pick. Which really stretches the manner in which I can play. Yeah, exactly. All right, uh, we're going to take a timeout. Kevin Flaherty joins the show in about 10 minutes. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. Depend on it. Would you like to get involved in sponsoring Rock Chalk Sports Talk or the best of RCST podcast? How about getting involved in some KU action or local high school sports? You can reach out to us, djohnson at gpmnow.com. That's djohnson at gpmnow.com, and we'll see what we can do to help out your business and get involved here in local sports. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk. I'm Derek Johnson with Adam Dravetta. This is KLWN, klwn.com. Joined now by Kevin Flaherty of 24-7 Sports. Kevin, uh, I I kind of pondered on the idea of if the Heisman were voted after um, bowl season. Like, would that be a good thing? Would that be a bad thing? I think there's certain instances where maybe it was good. I think there'd be certain instances where maybe it would just dilute it even more, where you'd have to be in the playoff. So I, I don't know uh, the answer to that. But uh, hypothetically, if the Heisman were voted after bowl games and after the playoff, 
do you think it would have changed who won the award? Ooh, that is, that's a tough one because I, I think, you know, Bryce Young kind of had a, a similar path, right, to what, uh, to what Will Anderson maybe had, where both of them were, you know, really, really good in, in part of the postseason and, and maybe not quite as good. Uh, I do think Will Anderson played pretty well last night, generally speaking. But, you know, for both of them and for the teams that have the – sort of the multiple postseason games, you know, how, how do you reconcile that? How do you reconcile if a quarterback throws for 500 yards in the semifinals and then is relatively, you know, relatively human in, in the championship? And so I, I don't know that it would have would have changed a whole lot when you look at the other, you know, the other players who would have been there. It might have helped um, – might have helped Anderson out a little bit because, you know, Aiden Hutchinson really didn't play very well at all. And so maybe, you know, we've talked on this show before about how one of the biggest issues I think that, that really hurt Anderson was there wasn't one defensive player that people felt comfortable circling and, and saying that that's the guy. And, and if there was, this might have been a year where, where they would have won it. But I think that there were some people who felt like it was Hutchinson. There were some people who felt like it was Anderson. You had other people who probably felt like it was Jordan Davis. And so I think when you look at, at the way that Hutchinson played in the semifinal, maybe there's there's a chance that those Hutchinson voters would have said, okay, we, we made a mistake there. Whereas, you know, Will Anderson was, was the MVP defensively of the Cotton Bowl, and so maybe some of those voters come over there and it changes some order a little bit. But I tend to think Bryce Young would probably have been the guy that uh, that emerged at the very end. Yeah, I think uh, if somebody individually for Georgia, because overall the Georgia defense we know is so good, and it was still really good tonight. You hold Alabama under 20 points, but there wasn't like a – you know, I think back to like Nick Fairley in the the college football title game against Oregon or, or Glenn Dorsey. There wasn't one of those performances from like a Jordan Davis or a Nicobe Dean where maybe that would have boosted them forward. So I, I kind of think you're right that it's not that Bryce Young would have further cemented his win of the award. It's just that I, I don't know that anybody else would have stepped up um, to overtake it. But uh, uh, I, I, I don't know like what to think now moving forward with with Bryce Young, is he going to be the clear-cut Heisman favorite for next year? And is Alabama, it, is it easy enough to say, okay, now they're going to be PO'd after that loss? They have Will Anderson and, and Bryce Young scheduled to come back. Like, here we go. They're just going to run through college football next season. Uh, I guess, how would you kind of diagnose the early look at the 2022 season? Well, you know, I, I do think Alabama is the, sort of the runaway favorite. And the, the special thing about this season from an Alabama standpoint, was this was always supposed to be a rebuilding year, at least as far as Alabama <laughs> That goes sounds weird on, to say, yeah. <laughs> on rebuilding years. And, and so, you know, sometimes that, that winds up happening, and now you have a an Alabama team that was pretty young this year. We saw, you know, last night when, you know, you had the injury to Jamison Williams, you know, Alabama had a lot of young wideouts out there who weren't necessarily ready for that kind of spotlight, I don't think. And and so Alabama has a chance now to, 
to go into the transfer portal and solidify that. But you also have to think, too, you know, those guys may be more ready for, for their chance next year. And so I do think Alabama is sort of your runaway favorite. I don't know that Bryce Young is your runaway favorite for the Heisman Trophy, though, because I think that when he won it, there was enough backlash to it where it wasn't necessarily, you know, it wasn't necessarily that there was another candidate where people looked at it and said, oh, my gosh, this guy got snubbed. But it was that people were so spread apart on so many different candidates that it was kind of like, oh, like that's that that's who won. And, and I think one of the tough things about it, Derek, when you're looking at Heisman Trophy candidates is when guys have already won, like that sets a certain baseline for their performance. And you really, really have to exceed that level in order to go out and win it again. You know, when you look at guys who have returned for seasons after their Heisman Trophy years, whether it's Johnny Manziel, whether it's Tim Tebow, you know, whoever, it's really tough for them to win again because, you know, if you just scored 50 touchdowns and, you know, and did all these things that won you the Heisman Trophy, you know, you have to do something even better for the encore. You know, that whole Archie Griffin winning the Heisman two two times in a row, people, you know, kind of treat that almost as sacred ground. And so you really, really have to put together something special where basically there is no doubt that, hey, this this is it. This is This is the person. And I think that it's possibly more likely that somebody like Caleb Williams, you know, if he winds up going to USC, you know, somebody who winds up in in maybe a different spot, you know, who hasn't been, who who wasn't in that discussion, who hasn't won the Heisman Trophy. I, I think that they have less of a burden to carry it as far as the Heisman Trophy candidate is what Bryce Young is going to have to do. So who are the teams, do you think, like if you had to do a a way, way too early college football playoff top four for next season, who would you go with right now? So Ohio State's going to be up there. You know, that was another, Ohio State's another team that was kind of in a building year as far as some things defensively, as far as up front. You know, I, I think Ohio State is maybe number two, Georgia number three. Those teams I think you could swap back and forth. Georgia's just recruited at such an absurd level, Derek. I mean, I'm not sure a lot of people realize that, you know, I think our our team talent composite that we put together, which is basically, yes, it's recruiting rankings, but it's the recruiting rankings of the guys who stay and who are actually on your roster. So if you had a number one class three years ago, but those guys, a bunch of them transferred out, those guys don't count as part of your ranking. Um, Georgia this year was about as high of a talent ranking as we've ever seen, you know, since we started putting that together. I think they had 19 five-star players on their roster. When you look at their stuff from last night, I think they scored four touchdowns, and three of them were by guys that we had ranked in the top 60 of their respective classes. Two of them were five-star guys. Georgia's just absurdly talented, and they're going to continue to be absurdly talented. And so they're in that discussion. After that, I, I think there's a little bit of a drop-off. There's some teams that you could maybe circle. One team that is really intriguing to me 
from an upside standpoint, but also I've seen some people aren't buying into it, is Baylor. Because mm. you look at Baylor returning, I think, four offensive linemen right now from this year's team. They lose a couple of those really good running backs, but at the same time as we've seen, you know, that's a position that's maybe a little bit easier to replace than some others. They bring back their quarterbacks, you know, bring back some of those key guys on, on defense. And Baylor, I've seen, I think, as high as four and five, you know, at the early rankings that I've looked at. And I've seen them as low as 23 or 24. Wow. And so you don't usually see that range, right? Like if, you know, it feels like there's a level of groupthink that often goes on in recruiting where it's like, well, okay, this team is somewhere around here. Wake Forest has been a team that I've seen as high as five and as low as maybe like 12. <laughs> uh, I'm not kidding on this. Uh, I am absolutely not kidding on this. Wake Forest is a team I've seen as high as five as low as about 12, and I don't know that I've seen them much lower. I've seen Oklahoma State at like seven, and I've seen Oklahoma State not in the poll at all. <laughs> I don't think ESPN had them in the and So So basically you're saying the fourth you, team next year is just going to be something weird. Yes, the, okay. <laughs> the fourth team, if you, if you are out there and you are somebody that, you know, pays your, your family's rent with, you know, going out there and, and laying bets, <laughs> You know, uh, an area where people may not have quite figured out um, what the the right thing to do is 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 picking that fourth team that's that's going to reach the college football playoff. I, I do think that top three is going to be pretty you know consensus when you look at, at Alabama. I think is going to be just about everybody's one, and, and then when you look at Ohio State and Georgia in some order. But it does kind of crack me up. Like I said, when you when you do have these teams, you know, sort of from four or five, you know, up until nine, and and they can go any one of about eight different directions. The team that's been really fascinating to me to watch because I don't think anybody has any handle on them whatsoever is Oklahoma. Because how do you project, you know, Oklahoma when they're going to change systems? They're turning over a significant portion of that roster, you know, to some extent, people are saying, well, they've still got some talent. They're still Oklahoma. And yet, at the same exact time, you know, you're looking at a, you're looking at a team where it's like, well, okay, what did you like about Oklahoma this year? And chances are that guy's not on the team, you know, for next year. And so uh, I've seen some people kind of give Oklahoma, I think, an Oklahoma-type ranking. And then other people have kept them sort of on the latter part of the top 20 or so just to to make sure they have them on there just in case, I feel like. Although, I don't know of anybody who's come out and feels really strongly one way or another about, okay, this Oklahoma team is going to be great or this Oklahoma team is just going to fall apart. We're talking with Kevin Flaherty of 24-7 Sports here. I do want to switch gears, talk a little college hoops with you. Um, Iowa State is KU's opponent tonight, and... They're ranked in the top 15 in the AP poll, but if you look at Ken Palm, they're in the low 30s. So where, if, if you were pegging where this team is at uh, among the top Big 12 teams, where realistically do you think they come in for you? You know, I think uh, I think a team that's really surprised so far is Oklahoma. And I think that Oklahoma is maybe closer 
to that top group than, than what we've seen. At least they have been a, of late. Uh, and, and I, and I feel like that's relevant because I think that pushes Iowa State down a little bit because Oklahoma did look really, really good against Iowa State. And so when you look at the Big 12, I, I feel like Baylor has established itself, you know, right now, at least early on the first couple games, whatever, you know, as, as the league favorite. I think Kansas is right there behind it. And then, I think you've got a little bit of a, of a jumbled up group where I'm not entirely sure that Texas Tech or Oklahoma isn't that number three team. And then I think you're looking at, at Iowa State and Texas sort of in that discussion right after that part. And so I do think that, that Iowa State's got a good team. They're, you know, really high level defensively. Their guard play is, is terrific. Isaiah Brockington's having a great year. Uh, but at the same time, I, I think, you know, the, the top 15 ranking is, is maybe a little high and, and, you know, not that it's unearned because they earned it by going out and absolutely destroying teams like Iowa. But at the same time, I think once you get into conference play, people have a little bit better handle on, on who you are and, and what you do and what you want to do. And, and I think that Iowa State is probably, you know, more of a mid, tier or so big 12 team as opposed to uh as opposed to a team that's that's going to make a run for the league title this year how do you think KU matches up specifically in this matchup I guess both for both games they're going to play them but also tonight well the the thing that that scares you a little bit is what Bill Self said you know after the Texas Tech game where he was talking about you know I don't know that we prepared our team well enough for a team that was just going to play really hard. And I think when you look at that Texas Tech game, Texas Tech shorthanded, you know, and all of those things, you know, Texas Tech just played with a bigger level of scrap, I think. You know, there was a lot of toughness that that Texas Tech played with. And I think that that's relevant because Iowa State is another team that, not to say that they're void of talent, because I think, you know, Tyrese Hunter is, is probably one of the better, you know, NBA prospects in the Big 12, you know, for the next year's draft. But at the same time, I, I think the biggest thing is, is Kansas to match up really needs to take whatever it did on Saturday and, and throw it in the garbage and, and needs to approach this game as, okay, when a rebound goes up, you know, it's it's a battle for that board. They nothing easy. We don't you know, we can't get beat on the glass, you know, it's it's one of those things too where defensively Iowa State typically executes and is pretty fundamentally sound and so Kansas can't execute at a soft level like it did against Texas Tech. And it's not soft as far as like being weak or are weak with the ball. It's being strong from a mental standpoint where, you know, you just, you, you execute on, on muscle memory. The pass comes out on time. You get to your screen, you get to your spots, you know, executing mentally, I think is going to be the big thing for Kansas in this one. He is Kevin Flaherty. You can check out all his work at 24 seven sports. Before I let you go, Kevin, though, one last thing with Adam. All right, Kevin, one last thing. Aside from the power button, which button on your remote control gets used the most? 
So we actually have a Xfinity, and uh, it's one of those remotes that you can talk into. <laughs> and so I, I, I would say that that gets used the most because, uh, like, for instance, you push the button and say sports, and it brings up all of the different sports games. Mm. And so you can then, you know, pick from from whatever's on or, you know, you can say movies or you can even say things like movie quotes and it'll figure out what movie you want to watch. Wow. And, and so I, I think that the the button other than power that probably gets used the most here is uh, is that. And, they, and it uses the, the other stuff too. So if you want to watch like Netflix or whatever, you know, you push the button and say Netflix, and it brings up Netflix. And so, uh, I would I would almost guarantee that that's probably the the button that gets used the uh, the second most. Well, I hope the little elves that live inside your remote and carry out those voice commands are getting paid well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no kidding, no kidding. I I'm guessing they don't, but I, I'm hoping <laughs> they do and have great benefits. So <laughs> that's right. All right, Kevin, living in the future. We're just stuck in the past with our old remote silver here. Kevin, thank you so much for the time as always, man, and uh, have a good one. All right, thanks a lot, guys. All right, that's Kevin Flaherty. Check out all his work, 24-7 Sports. With Adam Dravetta, I'm Derek Johnson. You're listening to Rock Shock Sports Talk on FM 1017, 1320 KLWN, klwn.com, and the KLWN app. Depend on it.